Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. Well, good morning, PCC. So good to hear your voices this morning as you sang along with Joseph and the team and the choir this morning. And you brought the sun back out as you did that. Did you see that? We went from darkness to light. Sorry to overuse a metaphor, but it's true what happened during that time uh, in a few moments. And that's what we hope for your hearts here today. I'm Brian Rand, your transition lead pastor, and whether you're in-house with this today, which is so good, way to fight off all the elements and make it, or whether you're at home having pancakes in your pajamas, grace to you, uh, and we're jealous. Welcome to PCC. We've been in a series um, known as More Than a Feeling, and if you want to follow along and make sure you have all the details, the easiest way to do that is get the version app and put it on your phone or get to the Church Center app and click that, or actually pull out this card this morning and just click on the message notes, and that'll get you to all the depth of what's being said, all the things you need to reference for later on. As we begin again today about feelings, um, the reality is today we're dealing with being scared. And sometimes scared is anxious, sometimes it's being afraid, sometimes it's being worried, What is it for you? And so my question as we begin today is, what makes you scared? What makes you afraid? What makes you anxious? Maybe you can relate to that a lot more. What do you worry about? Because we'll see today, oh, God can handle that. And there's a way to handle that so that we can experience that we are children of God and we can experience the freedom that we actually sung about. Now, as I was pondering scared today, I began to read different things and realize a few things about some of you that's kind of strange. Some of you like to be scared. Some of you actually like to go to horror movies. All right, raise your hand if you're brave enough and you just say, I like horror movies. Would you do that? Oh, look, at some of you, are not, you're afraid to say that, many of you. Some of you bold ones, some of what I would say you freaks love to go to these movies. Like, have you seen that movie Smile they've been advertising? Who would go see that? And then there's this other one right now, The Knock at the Cabin Door. Oh, my, I saw that at a preview, and I wanted to just leave. And then I thought, what did they put those children through when they filmed that? But here's what's interesting. Just like some people like spicy food because it releases some chemical in their brain that makes them feel good, it is the same for you in horror movies, believe it or not. When I talk to you horror movie people, that's what they tell me. So it's amazing what our body can do with this fear that we have, and then it's amazing what we do with it. And the reality is there's a problem on how we deal with it. And if you think about kids and teens right now, there's more anxiety and despair in them, it seems, than ever before. It's part of the reason we're having our workshop tomorrow night called Scene for People just to become aware of that, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or whatever. Come and just listen to these speakers share about the state of despair and anxiety in our next generation. It's interesting, when you think about fear, for some of us, we have it in different ways than others. Think of our friends of color, and those of you who are in the room. There is a way in which you go about your day 
that you have fears that I never have as a white Caucasian male. And some would say, well, not in the Bay Area. Come on, not in the Bay Area. But, you know, I got a buddy who lives in the city, and during really the height of Asian hate, I mean, sophisticated, highly educated dad wouldn't leave his house. That's how much the anxiety had him. We have a friend on staff here who lives in Mountain View, of all places, has actually moved since there just to a different town, but fear of how he'll be treated as he walks out of his home to the degree where one day he walked out of his home, his car had been vandalized, the wrong words had been written all over his car, someone had urinated in his car, someone had slashed all his seats. That car is still being kind of dealt with to repair. That's not a car he actually even wants anymore. I don't deal with that fear at all, that angst. Isn't it amazing the different depths of fears that we can each have and how some are so wrong that people would ever even have to even experience? And then just think of us as adults. I know there's some kids in the room possibly, but as adults, think of how you deal with your fears. Why do you use alcohol? How many gummies do you take at night? What do you do with other forms of pot? What are you doing with the meds you use? Those are all just signs that there's this problem with angst. And I'm not condemning anybody right there. I'm just talking about what's reality. The stats show it. But God can provide a different way, I'm convinced. And today, just so you know what we're talking about, I'm not talking about dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. I'm not talking about general anxiety disorder that I believe those take some very deep Uh, medicated and therapeutic approaches. I'm not even talking about acute anxiety where acute anxiety is when you react like right before you're in a car accident. You ever had like been right before and that, 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 that experience you have emotionally there. I'm just talking about chronic anxiety. It's just that that rises up and lowers within us. And if you think about it, here's what's so interesting. Think about fear, worry, being scared, anxiety, The universal trigger for being scared or afraid is this, and make sure you get this. You might want to take a picture of this. Just, I want this to sink in because it puts it in perspective. I think this is part of the perspective that God wants for us today is this understanding that the universal trigger for being scared or afraid is a real or imagined threat. Isn't it interesting? Most of our anxiousness comes from imagined things, unreal things that never happen. Never happened. Can anybody else relate to that? Have you ever tracked your worry to see if this is true? I did in 2020. Because for the last decade, probably from 2010 to 2020, I called it I was chasing peace. I wanted to get to a state where, hey, I should be able to just be at peace. I was also at a point at one point, I was like, I don't need my emotions because my emotions just do me wrong. All right, they take me places I don't need to go. And as I sat with coaches and counselors and a spiritual director, they would say to me, I think you're denying your humanity, and I think you're denying your need for God. So in 2020, I embarked on this journey to where I was going to track all my anxious thoughts. So in the back of my journal, I went to the very last three pages, and I just started, and I started, and I listed them and listed them. And my goal was to see how many of those actually came true. In the end, there was 41 things I listed over the course, and I stopped in August because uh, in the end, I was like, this is silly. But when I got to August, there was 41 worries that I had listed. And 
there was probably more, and I didn't get them all down, but many of those I would endlessly come back to. Can anybody relate to that? So I had, like, top worries that I would always come back to. Then I had, like, the middle ones, and then I had, like, the freak ones that just would show up. What percentage do you think came true? What percentage? Of the 41, or how many of the 41? Two. Two. And one, I would actually say, isn't done and might not really come true. Just seems to be playing out a little bit right now. Two. That is less than 4%. How much wasted time and how much distance from God that that carried me to. Remember in this series, we're talking about how just like physical pain is assigned to our body, when it comes down to it, emotions are assigned to our soul. And remember what we've also been saying is that this, is that our emotions give this opportunity. It's a real opportunity to become so much more aware of ourselves so we can operate better and have greater intimacy with God. And when I really think about it, What God is wanting us, I think, to do is this. Be discipled in our feelings. See, we'll also, we often say, hey, we should be discipled in knowing the knowledge of God and his word, and that helps us rethink things, doesn't it? And then we'll also say, hey, God is calling us, and we should be discipled in things we should go do for the Lord. So we're we're really good, I think, at trying to renew our minds and get new knowledge, and go do things, but I think where our greatest weakness is, is being rediscipled or discipled in how we feel. Does that make sense? Where God, God says, I want you to feel, but I want you to know how you should feel about how you should feel. Or I want you to know about how you're feeling, and how you should feel about that. And that's where we're really at today. So we've been using this elephant as an imagery, and think about when you get scared. All right, think about where the elephant goes. And the elephant, I'm convinced, goes really in one of four places. Sometimes we fight. Has anybody ever brought up an idea to you and all of a sudden you get mad about it? Like, that's ridiculous. There's no way. And you're actually operating like that because you're scared of the idea? Has anyone ever brought up an idea and it just caused you to flee? Like, like I'm just avoiding that. I'm just, I'm out of here, okay, because I can't deal with that. Has anybody ever brought up an idea to you and you just freeze? You just just freeze. You you can't get any emotion on it. Remember that whole story? Remember the made-up thought I had in my head? Remember (laughs) Remember the unreal threat I told you about a while back about my son dying in the Amazon? All right, I don't know if you remember this, but I had a son who's been in the Amazon with YWAM, and at one point I started to fear for him, and then I realized my passport wasn't valid, and I had myself convinced by March my wife was going to have to go to the Amazon to pick up my dead boy because I didn't have a passport, okay? And all I needed to do was fill out my passport paperwork to get that done, and that would alleviate some of the fear because then I wouldn't leave my wife in that terrible situation, okay? I couldn't fill out my passport paperwork. I was frozen. My passport paperwork has sat since like last July, and then I just ignored it because we had a wedding. And then after the wedding, what's that have to do with it? And then in the end, the reality was I had this new idea that my son's dying and I couldn't fill it out. And Leanne just asked me the other day, did you finally fill it out? And I said, I did. I did. But I was frozen. Have you ever been frozen because of a fear? Here's our big idea today. I want you to think of a fire being right here. They wouldn't let me bring a fire in, all right? (laughs) A fire here, all right? 
Our big idea is this. Will you allow your fear to fuel the fire of your faith instead of flood it? Look at the picture. Look at the kindling. Do you see the kindling? What if by the time you leave today, you give yourself the freedom to use your worry as kindling to draw you to God and fuel the fire of your faith versus it floods your faith like water. It's a whole different approach. How worry can now become the fuel to intimacy, the fuel to see what God has done, the fuel in many ways an offering to God. God, here is my worry. May I put it in the fire and let it be an offering to you. And may you bring upon me hope. Open your Bibles, the Philippians 4, 6 to 7. I think it's page 1181 in the Pew Bible. Tell me if I'm wrong. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. There are so many places in the Bible that it tells us, don't worry, don't be afraid. Here's one of the key ones. And I've put it in a translation today on the screen that's a little different that's in your pew, but I love how it almost says, let your worries be reshaped into kindling so that Christ brings you peace. Hear this passage, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. It's a little different on the screen than in your Bible. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. What part of that passage is speaking to you? Maybe it's the part where it says, let your petitions and prayers, in essence, reshape, let your petitions and praises reshape your worries into prayers. Letting God, taking the kindling and putting it into the fire, the faith that you have, just drop it in there and let it ignite into this offering that turns into hope, that turns into not no longer the dis-ease in you, the dis-ease. Do you hear that word? I want you that word to stick in you today. This dis-ease and let it be replaced with what? The ease the grace of Christ. Folks, God knew that we would be scared. He actually, if you look how we were developed, it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We have some fear built into us for our good, protects us. It also helps us understand there's this greater God, makes us wonder about the wrath and what will happen with him. God, God put a little fear in us. It's good, but we can let it take us too far. And he knew we'd be scared. That's why throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, there are endless statements. If you look on the screen, 70 times it says in the Bible, do not be afraid. 17 times it says, do not fear. Eight times it says, do not worry. That's almost 100 verses right there. But if I took you into other aspects of the Bible, here's what you would see. You would see other phrases that are speaking to the same concept and might not use the word afraid, might not use the word worry. So here's what I'm wondering about you right now. What is your top passage that you go back to when you're freaking out? 
Maybe it's your top story. Maybe the story sticks with you more. I'm going to tell you a story later. I hope it sticks with you. But here's what I would challenge you to do. You've got to have a truth to come back to when you're believing all the lies. Did you hear that? You've got to have a truth to come back to when you're believing all the lies. Think of my scenario in 2020. 41 worries. Only about two of them have come true. I would have to come back. Here's the passages I would come back, I came back to. Joshua 1.9. It's not on the screen. Just maybe write it down. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God is with you. What? Wherever you go. Here's another one. Psalm 37.7. Be still. Wait patiently. Do not fret. Here's what I know about myself as a human being. After all the time I've done talking about myself to other people and pondering it before God, I often live in two places. See if you can understand this and which one do you relate to. I typically live in a place of regret about the past or fret about the future. Anybody else relate? Are you more a regretter or are you more a fretter? All right. You don't know this, but next to those two worry pages, the page over here was my regret page. I wanted to see how much regret would come out that year too. That page was actually a lot shorter than the worries, but it was about a half page of regrets. Stuff that I can't change, stuff that I wish I'd changed, stuff I wish I'd done differently, but getting it out helped me at least confess it to God and had less power. What is it for you? Do you live more in regret or fret? Because what he's wanting for us is this. Are you hearing this? He's wanting for us to live in this present place of shalom with his help. This gracious, pleasant place of shalom with his help. Doesn't mean everything's changed, but you've changed. That's what he's wanting for us. But here's the one that I'm coming back to more and more and more. It's not on the screen. It's Zephaniah 3.17. It's in the NLT version. I love how it's written. This is what we sang about And this is what it says, with his love, he will calm all your fears. I don't know about that, why, but that is the most soothing to my soul right now. With his love, he will calm all your fears. I'll say it another time, then I want you to repeat it with me. With his love, he will calm all your fears. Say it with me now. With his love, he all your fears. With his love, he'll calm all your fears. Zephaniah 3, 17. I want you to see that being scared, fearful, and full of anxiety is not just a psychological problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's actually a spiritual battle. Russell Llewellyn, one of our prayer partners, has really helped me emphasize that and helped me understand that. But if you really think logically about it, fear can be a spiritual problem, just like anger can be a spiritual problem. All right? the, because we have a soul that is a spiritual part of us. And what happens is our soul gets overwhelmed with these things, and it becomes a spiritual battle that we have to push against. Think about this. I'm from a long line of worriers. There's a generational spirit within our family of that. Thank goodness I married a woman who, she's the antithesis of worry. She is calm. She has worry at times, but she does not have that line that I have in that way. 
It's a spiritual battle. Think about when God says this fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control, and gentleness. So he's wanting to give us what? A spirit of peace. But our flesh battles with holding on to the spirit of fear. So it's a spiritual battle. Look what's said in uh, 1 Timothy here, 2 Timothy actually, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. This is showing the spiritual battle. So when you're afraid, it's so much bigger than psychology. And that's what's so wonderful because we can call on the great psychologist, God, to come in and give us a renewed mind on it. Look what Satan does in John 8, 44. When he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. This is why fear to some degree, angst to some degree, cause people to kill other people. And this is why when you get enough anxiousness, enough despair, this is why you'll go to the extreme of killing yourself because of the lies we actually believe, the lies we actually believe about ourselves. Think of just how deeply you self-condemn yourself. There's so much power. And God wants to battle that with you. That's why it's important that we take every, every thought captive. As we close today, I want to do two things. I want to tell you a story in the Bible about how frail we are and how powerful God is. And then I want to give you some time to sit and identify your own fear. In essence, bring the kindling to God and offer up this sacrifice to him of your actual fear, your angst, whatever you're fretting. But the story goes like this, and you can turn to it. Uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 tells a great and powerful story. In the Pew Bible, it's around, I think, 550. And I'm not going to read this through, but I'm going to tell this story to you because I want you to capture it. And I've made it really simple. I put some pictures on the screen. It's kind of story time right now. This is a story about a king and a queen. Jezebel is evil. She is evil. She's like those horror movies, okay? She is evil as can be. King Ahab, he's not very righteous, and Jezebel's got him under his control. Jezebel's convinced everybody that they should worship Baal and not God, so another God. Jezebel has like 800 prophets that promote this around the area that she lives in, around uh, Israel. Jezebel has taken all the Christian prophets and begin to slaughter them. Genocide. Everyone is petrified of Jezebel. She is a queen that might look nice in the previous picture, but is not. So then what you have is a prophet Elijah. And Elijah is told one day by God to go to Ahab and Jezebel and tell them that their God is not the true God, and he will prove that to them. And he's scared when he does that, but he still goes ahead and does that. And he goes to Mount Carmel, and on Mount Carmel, he performs a miraculous act. They create two altars. It's really a competition. It's like Survivor, okay? Who can make the biggest fire? And in the end, 
the Baal gods are all there, like all 850 of them. And then there's Elijah. And the Baal gods call on their God and call on their God. And by noon, nothing's happening to their fire. And if you get into 1 Kings uh, 18, at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. This is awesome. Shout louder, he says. Surely he's your God. So they shout louder. Then he says, well, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe you should try to awaken him. And he goes on and on and taunts them. And then in no time, they get no answer. And so then Elijah ups the ante. He says, bring out the water. Well, wait, we're trying to create a fire here. And he pours three times buckets and loads and jars of water. And there's a moat now with water around his altar. And then he calls upon God. And God, in a huge inferno, lights up the whole place. And the Baal gods and everyone there say, you are my God now. They believe. Within an hour or less, Elijah goes in his frailty as a human from experiencing one of the greatest miracles of God in front of thousands of people to now running for his life because Jezebel's been told and that evil spirit that's in Jezebel is now chasing, chasing Elijah. And he runs and he runs and he runs until he gets so tired that he falls asleep. And Elijah, think about it. Isn't this just so small, so petty, might seem big, that just scares us and we run and we run and we run. But look what Elijah does. He sleeps, he gets up, the angel feeds him, and he is nourished by the Lord. Folks, that's what I'm calling us back to today. Will you allow, when the elephant of your fears is making you run from the Jezebel, will you just stop and find rest in the Lord and allow him to feed you the truth so then you can face it and move forward? Because in the end, God is yearning for us to have shalom. So as we go today, I want you to identify what is your fear and will you allow your fear to fuel your faith? instead of flooded. You'll see on the screen, what is your Jezebel? What are you scared of, worried about? What are you fretting about? And as Marty plays right now, I just want to give you time to sit in that before the band closes us with a final song. Will you allow your fear to rise? We have a process we've been taking it through called name it, tame it, claim it. It'll be on the screen. Just sit before God bring it to God as your offering. So Lord, reveal now what it is you have for us, large or small. May we realize you're greater. It's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Thank you for tuning into our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California. And you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.